and welcome to the MMR on the Air podcast. I am Matt. I am Lauren. I'm Christian. And I'm James. And we are here for the first episode of the fall 2021 uh, semester. And if you don't know, we are in more media records here at Central Michigan University. And our club meets on Thursday nights at 6 p.m. in Moore Hall, room 182. And with that, you know, you can come hang out. You can come learn how to record music, talk about music, uh, advertise music. Or if you just love music and want cool people to talk to, that's what we're for. Because our job is talking. And speaking of talking to music, Lauren has a great topic for this week. So I am a fan of indie music. I don't know about you guys, but I really like indie rock, particularly. Big fan. fan. Um, We had planned to do an album review of sorts and talk about the general topic of the genre that this album fits in. And so the album definitely fits in indie rock. It would be considered, in my opinion, one of the most classic indie rock albums of the early 2000s. And um, so I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about indie rock. and and you going to uh, keep us in suspense? Well, I don't know. I was thinking Ooh. about it. I was just thinking <laughs> about it. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, good news for people who love bad news by Modest Mouse. Uh, it's, it's a great one. It's probably one of my top 10 uh and i always recommend people should check it out because it just really opened me up to a lot of different music that i never expected to like and uh i it really was something for me as a young yeah young indie folk well as a like so for me i always wondered like right when i hear indie music what i think of is you know coffee house vibes like no one knows who this is like why should i care if no one knows who this is but modest mouse after this album was huge i remember float on was playing all the time and in high school my friends like anytime is in the car he had this album or one of their albums and it was always just a great time listening to it so what i'm wondering is though right can you define something as indie music because once you become big you're no longer independent you have you know multiple labels you have a tour you have people that you're hiring to present your music so then does it change genres or was it never indie music to begin with is indie just i haven't made it yet well i think i think indie is more of like a sound than it is anything else i mean you can you can have a specific like vibe to an album and still have it be indie without them actually being like on their own and not with the label you know i i totally agree now back when this was released it it was a big deal for this indie artist of sorts i mean they were signed at this point um but because it gained such mainstream attractions and attentions it almost became like something that you couldn't admit to really liking anymore because it was popular and you don't want to be a poser (laughs) why would you ever want to be a poser and so like oh you you like good news that's lame i don't know if you've ever heard of their first stuff or their unreleased stuff but like that stuff way better than this i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) So I think like back in the early 2000s and definitely in the 90s, indie music had this real tangible like title to it. You know, you're indie if you put in the work and you didn't get signed and you genuinely put everything that you had and the band had into just making music for yourself and for your audience and not for the labels, not for the big companies, but instead for like a very small group of people. Exactly. I mean, well, to what I'm getting, you're saying is because I've never been a huge fan of quote unquote 
indie music, but what I'm confused on is indie, would you say it's like, right, and comparing it to food, like say, oh, it's Italian food, like, right, like it's a rock music has a very defined sound, very defined instruments, kind of like overall song structure, like pop as well, hip hop, or would you say indie is like paprika, where it's like, or like cinnamon, where you're like, ooh, like this is totally its own thing, but it's a strong sense of cinnamon. You know what I'm saying when it comes to genre? Yeah, I. I like, mean, is this, all, is this some other kind of rock as well as indie, or is it what you you know put your stake down? Say this is indie. Like Christian was saying, I think I agree with you on on the terms of like now it is based in sound. I feel like the younger generation associates indie music with a certain sound and not a certain moral standing in terms of releasing music. Do you know what I mean? Well, and I think also like I've noticed a lot, even Spotify will categorize it as a different genre and there's like indie folk and like indie rock and like that kind of stuff. But there's also just separate folk and rock and like that kind of stuff. And I also think that indie music as a sound, I wonder almost if it becomes like popular music, if the sound makes it indie, but the status doesn't and where that line is yeah i I I get that i mean i would think that uh indie music would just be like experimental in a way you know just like trying to change things up in a different way like trying to highlight like i mean that's how new artists stand out from each other i mean that's how we find all these new artists because i mean their stuff is unique so really independent just means the beginnings because when you're a band trying to make it out right they don't want to hear the same stuff they've been hearing. They want to hear your take on it. So like when I think of, you know, a lot of artists I like, I, when I look at their early stuff, a lot of the times it's very most like avant-garde, like what you're saying, artistic, kind of very, they're trying to push it out there and make more of a stamp than they are trying to make more of a poppy, really catchy album. Right. So, you know, it's... And you can even, you know, talk about their progression. Uh, Modest Mouse as a band, their progression from those early albums onto what they have just released now and how some of it may be considered to be washed out or, you know, less potent and exciting and very modest mousy. Yeah, so, do you know what I mean? So I guess the real also big question is when would you say this definition of indie music started? Because I, I would think back to like, you know, probably the early nineties, of course, one of the most influential bands Nirvana, they basically made the genre grunge and from there, you know, you could say like, oh, this at the time, they're like, oh, this is just a different kind of rock, but they weren't defined as indie. Would you say, um, you know, not to mention the time that Modest Mouse came uh, out, probably like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, the beginning of the Internet, would you say kind of that rise in a new way of, you know, musical bands hit their art, uh, hit their audience? Would you say that, you know, kind of how they reach their audience makes them indie, right? Being this kind of social status to like, oh, I knew them before they were cool, right? Or, <laughs> oh, I, you know, have the sticker that they made and they put it on their MySpace. Right. I mean, it, it's hard to say when the term exactly got its like real movement going, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Indie is something that I feel like, especially growing up in the 2000s, just seems like it's gone on forever. Indie music is yeah. the music, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like I truly understood music when I started appreciating and liking indie music. But what kind of indie music was it? Like, like we were debating whether that is in the title or in the sound itself. Right. You know what I mean? So it's hard to exactly locate the spot in time in which 
indie it's, music it's not got being it's told. It's definitely a gradual change, mm-hmm. I think. That like it 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 just kind of happened while nobody was looking and then it was just there. Right. That's kind of how it felt like for me. Like I went through the same experience where I like was listening to all sorts of music and once I started listening to indie music, like I really just I started connecting with music a lot. And yeah, I mean that transition like from learning that it existed and like kind of looking back on the history, it really was like gradual as far as I can tell. Right. And then we can get into like the separation of the different kinds of indie music. You know, there's indie punk, indie rock, indie um, folk, indie. There's just so many different kinds. And you, I almost feel like indie folk is just folk. You know what I mean? Because (laughs) folk music to me screams independent. Right. Folk music to me says, I'm making There's this not for a my lot audience. Personal. Super yeah. popular, like pop music, folk music. <laughs> right, right. You, you always, know? yeah. So I think it's cool how it's gotten separated into those different sections. You know what I mean? And somehow I find that most people that listen to indie music have dipped their toe into every single one yeah. of those and, <laughs> you know, seen what indie punk looks like, indie rock, indie, you know. I mean, all I, that I would stuff. say that it's. It's like very hard to define indie music like as a single like point of example, you know, and I I think that if we're it kind of came about like in the same way that alternative came about, like people just wanted something different, like another outlet for the same type of music, you know, and I mean, it's really hard to pinpoint, but I mean, I mean, it's really hard to define. Sorry, but like. I, I feel like you know it when you see it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, this so it's album... A vibe. It's a vibe. Oh, it's a vibe. It's it a, vibe. a vibe. Yeah. Did it pass the vibe check? The indie it vibe did. check? And indie vibe check. That's a big question I was wondering, too, because for me, a lot of artists I find, you know, oh, in the beautiful, wonderful world of the internet it is today, I'll go on Spotify, I'll find, you know, maybe five artists I really like, and of course, I got them on repeat, repeat, and then the Discover Weekly comes out for me. I'm like, oh... Well, awesome. Let's check this out. I want to find new stuff. And when I often find it, I would say sometimes I find ones with 10,000 listeners every month, uh, you know, maybe like most up to 50, maybe 100,000. And to me, I think that's still fairly, I wouldn't say independent, but I would say not mainstream, right? Where big, you know, pop groups like Billie Eilish has like 500,000, like 500 million. And, you know, that's where you would say that is popular you know, regardless of the genre, pop, popular. But I wouldn't necessarily define a lot of those groups as quote-unquote indie. I mean, I think with the vibe that you're talking about, with indie being important, having like kind of like it's a thing to say, like it's a, it's more than just the music. It's, you know, like the clothes I'm wearing when I'm listening to it. Like for me, um, when I think of this time of early 2000s, I was still buying CDs at Best Buy. Right. You remember back when you yeah, could listen right. to the samples? Yeah. And the dude would be like, dude, you've been here for like 40 minutes. Come on. You can't just listen to the whole thing. And I'm like, I was just enjoying myself. Yeah. And I was, I would just find, you know, I'd be like, okay, well, I'll try this uh, artist because I really like them or, you know, let's give it a shot. And I was stuck with the album and I was like, regardless, ride or die, I'm going to listen to it. And if I love it, I'm going to love all of it. Right. You know? Yeah. I think that this whole indie thing is such an interesting topic to talk about. Um, And the first thing that always comes to mind when I think of indie artists that don't really feel indie to me is like, no hate, no shame, but Claro. People Mm. claim is an industry plant. 
She's, you know, very, very popular, um, like well-known and liked, especially with the growth of uh, social media like TikTok. Mm -hmm. You know, she has become one of the most iconic uh, indie artists, as we say. But was she ever really indie to start with? I think she was. Mm. Didn't she make something in her bedroom? I'm not. I'm not super familiar with her I work. Mean, Justin Bieber did as no. well. So. I mean, right, exactly. <laughs> but is he so indie? Yeah. I would definitely define her early career as indie. I mean, she was she was making like uh, like bedroom pop before a lot of like indie pop artists really came onto the scene. Right. Which I mean, and obviously being like a prominent like female like voice. Like she, she had a lot of influence in the early like indie pop scene, mm-hmm. but I feel like gradually as her music evolved, she kind of evolved with it, you know, and she had to take that step into the mainstream to just continue her career. Cause like as an indie artist, what's the goal? Is it the goal? Is it your goal to stay indie forever and stay not in the mainstream? Or do you want to break into that? Right. Well, at some point, right. Like, I guess my whole argument is saying if her music sounds the same, then she didn't change her genre. It just changed her status. Yeah. Like, exactly. if I think of, um, you know, like Taylor Swift, right, for example, her, I would define her as a multifaceted kind of artist where, right, her growing up, she was really big in the country. She loved the, her playing her guitar and singing songwriting. That was her main thing. And then as she grew, she felt like she's like, well, I've done this. I want to do more. And I want, even if, you know, it's not, what my listeners expect of me or what, you know, might be the best play as far as like, you know, as a business, let's, let's be real here. Uh, the music genre is still business. Uh, you know, she went off on that and, you know, she did a lot of pop. She did a lot of like more folk stuff. And, but to her, she's still Taylor Swift. She's still like the biggest thing out there. So. Yeah. It, I mean, I think growth comes with that. I think there's a level of, um, understanding within fan bases of indie artists though where you almost know if it seems like a sellout you know if the if the next album drop is is completely like Mm -hmm. different than what you were expecting it doesn't even feel like the band had anything to do with it then it's you know there's still that level of indie culture where people want it to be genuine and real and for the audience and not for the general public you know what i mean i think that's still a part of indie culture but it's not as intense anymore because I feel like people are really into the idea of progressing with your sound. I feel like nowadays, you know, pop artists even are like really just progressing with their sound and making things completely different on each album because that's what the general public desires, you know? Well, and there's also, yeah, there's that really important separation between like the listeners can tell if music is made from the emotion of the artist versus like to make money and it's really interesting that you bring that up in terms of like indie music versus like other types of music because like I feel like a lot of indie music connects to listeners also like on an emotional level in a way that pop music or like even just like any type of music that's just kind of factory generated I guess like doesn't really connect as much and I feel like that's part of the indie genre um, that we're kind of throwing back and forth is like it does connect on an emotional level because it's not for mainstream. And so like it, it, it's so interesting also because, you know, we're talking about indie artists like getting popular and then, you know, can we call them indie artists anymore? It's a lot 
easier, I think, in some ways to get popular as an indie artist, especially through like TikTok and stuff. Because people will just grab audio from the songs and then, you know, somebody wants to hear the whole song and then suddenly you've got, you know, 10,000 listeners. If eight seconds is good, then the whole song is good. Now with the internet, you know, especially with, you know, such high-paced movement Mm -hmm. um, and and traffic of different types of music on TikTok, especially TikTok is like a crazy place to be right now for music. You, you You see a lot of artists nowadays, like specifically tailing their music, like, to TikTok. Right. And it, I mean, that, I mean, at least for me, I think that kind of causes some concern because I feel like it's kind of like just not, not reaching its full potential then. Yeah. You know? I kind of agree with you. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but like who listens to whole albums anymore? I mean, yeah. our generations, I know we range in age ever so slightly, but we're between the like 18 and 22 range, I would say probably. Right. So I feel like we've grown up with this generation of oversaturated uh, stimulation in terms of social media, in terms of the internet, in terms of everything. And people are just so ready to consume small bits of content instead of an overall larger picture. And whole albums provide such a beautiful and different quality than, you know, short format yeah. media. I mean, but it's, it's honestly a shame. I mean, the, the way a, an album can actually, like, tell a story and even concept albums like it's it really takes away from the art i feel like yeah and 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 i i was just gonna say like albums if you listen to them in order it's almost it's kind of like how musicals are set up but they're they're set up in an order that often tells a story and i think a lot of people do miss out on that i know i myself included i don't listen to a lot of full albums but when i do and when i find the time to there is a lot of like importance in listening to the songs in order because they're put there for a reason you know a lot of the time and if they're not then you know it's really unfortunate I for me personally like I really enjoy when albums have their songs set up in a certain way that like it tells a story or it just makes sense in an order it tells a vibe a progression because the big thing with me was me being a classic rock fan you know either when they made an album right you had side a and side b so a big part would be you want the first song to really catch them. And then when it fades out of side A, like I think of classic example is Abbey Road. It does the She's So Heavy and it literally goes until it's like ear screeching pain and then silence. And then the next song is Here Comes the Sun. And the main reason that was on side B is because they knew they're like, well, this is like the best song ever. So let's put it on the side <laughs> so people can just play it immediately. Yeah. And it's a yeah. beautiful juxtaposition yeah, too. If you're listening it to is. it all the way through, it just, it it's perfect. flows perfectly. Yeah. And I think this album in particular, I like the way that things are placed. I like the order in which the album tracking goes. I did do some research before this podcast, watched a few other people do reviews on it, and people had some beef with the way that this album was laid out. Really? Yeah, people thought that certain songs should go in different spots, and I see what they were saying because they did have a similar vibe. Like, in particular... um, I saw someone say that Satin Coffin should be between Bukowski and Devil's Work Day. And that's because they have a very similar vibe. But I, I think that it's nice to spread out that vibe a little bit throughout the album. And that's why I liked where it was placed by the artist yeah, themselves. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I mean, I would say this. To end on the whole uh, album's kind of like having weight with that, right? Um Christian before said about like a concept album, right? It tells a story, right? And that is obviously you can't play that uh, shuffle. But what's also a big thing is 
what we're going to also touch upon in the next segment here with this album, Good News for People Who Love Bad News, is it's almost like section groupings, right? You'll hear a lot of times people say A-sides or B-sides, what I just mentioned, or C and D-sides if it's a long album. And that kind of goes into what they think the listeners might want to hear and yes, and how they group. So, you know, you guys, I'm so excited to go into this album. My favorite, my favorite. Well, not necessarily top Ooh, she's playing favorite, but it is one of my favorites. And <laughs> I'm so excited to be able to review this. I was like ready. As soon as I knew podcast was getting back, I was like, I really, really want to review this album because over this past summer, I feel like I just dove deep right back into this album and remembered why I loved it so much. Um, So like the first three tracks, do we want to talk about those in a segment? Because I feel like they really fit in a segment we were what's talking the, what's about. What's the best way here? I feel like you're the maestro here. Okay. This is, this is your magnum opus. Is that, so a, you can, is that oh, a pun? Well, okay, we could talk about them individually. There's Oh, intro song, easily the best one. <laughs> yeah, horn oh, yeah. intro, <laughs> like the nine-second little intro there. 4,000 plays Yeah. <laughs> we were looking at that. Uh, all of the songs that are like intro or little interludes have only like 3,000 views versus the rest of them have like Hundreds of thousands, millions. which is literally millions. Crazy. Three, which I feel like only four thousand people have listened to this album all the way that's, through. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, exactly what I was gonna yeah. say. Yeah, that's, that's very shame. disappointing. Because I think the people have it in their cars on the CD from way back when. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. This wasn't. This time wasn't the time of Spotify. This was the time of CDs. This was the time of cassettes. You know, it's a. Uh, it's a beautiful album, though. I I love the horns intro because I'm a sucker for a good horn. I play <laughs> trumpet. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. And it got me, like, excited to listen to this album again. Um, and then it goes right into The World at Large, which The World at Large, then Float On, those are their two really big songs that got, like, well-recognized by the general public um, and kind of brought them out of the indie world and into the, like, mainstream world. So, and they um, flow so well together. They, they are do. beautiful. The transitions are insane on these two oh, songs. Beautiful. It is. It's great. So stunning. And the world at large to me screams walking around in the wintertime and, and looking at the snow. And it makes me feel like I'm the main character and it does all the things chills. that I I want it to do for me. And um, I just love that track. It was, I believe, the first Modest Mouse song I ever heard, which is surprising that it wasn't Float On um, because that is their most popular song. But the world at large, someone showed me it back in middle school, and I ran with it. I loved that song. I did not check out the rest of the album, though. And hear me out. I didn't check it out until high school. I think that if I would have checked this album out in middle school, I probably would have been just unbearable as a person because I would have thought I was better than everyone. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought enough. that I just knew things that people didn't. I was already on that pipeline listening to Cage the Elephant at, like, age oh 12. God. And so... If I would have had Modest Mouse under my belt, too, I feel like I would have just been like, you don't get it. Here, this is my show, and you're all just the background characters. Here, but I was listening to Young Gravy at <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're I here now. Like, I do feel like sometimes albums just come to you, like, at a time that you're ready to listen to them. And it, yeah, it's well, weird totally. that way. Like, that happens sometimes. And it's great Definitely. how it's, like, combined with that memory. Because I don't know about you, 
Explode On, the first time that I like really heard it and loved it was Honest to God, Rock Band 2, anyone? Oh Rock my God! Band two. Rock Band 2! Yes. That was like, one of the first <laughs> oh ones I was gosh. like, trying to master on drums. Like, okay, this one isn't too hard. And it's like the most like chugging, catchy beat. And I think what's big about, you know, also I want to say about the first couple tracks is it sets the vibe up for also the sound. Because for me, like when they sing Flow It On, you just can't help but sing the chorus with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, so it true. feels like an anthem song. It mm-hmm. feels like a pub song. It's just so... And I mean, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, so uh, going back to that, uh, that, like, uh, that. I the gang know, vocals, the, the gang yeah. vocals. What I was going to say is yeah. the gang vocals on that, that makes it feel like a pub song. Yeah. I, I am a good punk friend. I, I love punk. And so gang <laughs> vocals get me hype. Yeah, and and so that on float on. I just really. couldn't help but air, like, you know, steering wheel drum. And because I listened to this in the car. I couldn't help but hit my steering wheel, you know, <laughs> the, the the windshield was the, the symbols. And then just I had to sing it because I just had to. It reminded me of a great time just at any, you know, with music. Have you guys ever heard the Kanye mix with Float On? I haven't. No, but oh, I have to hear this. It, it comes in, let's get lost tonight. <laughs> it's oh. so good. It's oh so gosh. good. It's. I'll have to show you after, but it's so good. I'm so interested and, in this. Um, you would never expect those two to go well together. Totally do. So Float On, World at Large, I think those were their two biggest tracks. And then it moves into Ocean Breeze Salty, which is um, a little bit of a slowdown, in my opinion. Even though World at Large and Float On are pretty slow for the album, because this album does get pretty crazy at certain <laughs> points. Um, but Ocean Breeze Salty, I really like this song in terms of lyrical content. I just always thought that it was beautiful um, and super poetic. And what a title. Yeah. I mean, that, like, just the imagery that the title provokes yeah. is so nice. And- I I, uh, I actually really like this track, too. I, I thought they had more of, like, a Strokes feel. Yes. Like, I mean, yes. of, of their first album, Is This It? And a heavy 2000s vibe. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I know it was, like, made in the 2000s, but this is, like... This has got to be the influence for all that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the, the like trilling synths in the back and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just classic. Yeah, I definitely agree. And like with the vocals, it reminded me a lot. I think it was this song. Uh, when I went to go, my friends had last minute tickets to see, um, well, it was Modest Mouse. And who was the one that did The Devil and God are Raging Inside Me? Brand new. Brand new. Yeah, it was that yeah, that concert. That concert. Wish like when I heard his vocals, I'm like, oh, this is a lot like brand new. It's like the the kind of mm-hmm. like you know, really, it's kind of like this angsty feel. So definitely the first bit of the album has that rocker, like kind of like post punk, very early two thousands, man. Yeah. Give me that early two thousands. <laughs> I, I still I, I feel like it still has that like slower, like more digestible like uh, feel to it. You know. So it, it wasn't like as heavy as the earlier stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with these first three full songs. I think that it's the perfect introduction to this album because it gives people a little easy slide into what soon will be Isaac Brock screaming into the microphone <laughs> in very scary tones. Yeah, now let's start <laughs> screaming about death. And apparently this album in in a whole is about death and the afterlife. I, I gathered that, you know, probably like six or seven times into my listen through of this album because I'm a little 
taking the school <laughs> sometimes. Too busy, too busy headbanging. Yeah, it, too it busy is, enjoying myself. Is, it is very subtle with his messages. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it it definitely lays out the lyrics in like a digestible way, but like the actual meaning behind them, like it, it can take a few listens to actually right. figure it out. And it it can because. Isaac just be screaming and you can't yeah. understand what he's saying <laughs> and you have to look it up. Well, I it's do like... love, I love songs and albums that you have to like look into it to get the deeper meaning, right. especially albums that have a lot of like just emotion behind them and like subjects like death, you know, it, there's a lot of different ways to go about putting that into media. Um, and I always think it's really interesting when an album can like have that you know, subtext and that kind of thing. And, you know, you can listen to it and just jam to it, but then eventually you kind of get the meaning yeah. to it. Well, even know. the name of the album yeah. kind of rings to that, right? Mm -hmm. It's really subtle and it's not, it's like, right, you could sing about death and just like, you know, have this very, like, either like vulgar, vulgar depiction or it could be like good news for people who love bad news. Like, what does that really mean? And it's right. like, and with it, you know, as we transition through the other interlude, who which I think needs more than three thousand listens, I agree. Good. Oh my god! Dig your grave, stunning. I love it. It's, I. This is when the strings come in. Yes. So I am a sucker for strings as well. Not don't not only horns, but strings. And so uh, this intro into bury me with it. I think that it just fits so perfectly and gets you into that vibe of like, oh, we're getting dark now. We're getting real dark now. And. I I, I I think I think kind of like the just the just a position of the strings and with the tone like how there there's these like light strings across the entire album but how that also feeds into like the darker tone mm -hmm. they did it so well on this yeah song. I agree and then bury me with it is just that screechy please yeah. bury me with it like <laughs> oh it's Something that I can scream down the highway and enjoy. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I really like that um, track, especially for like it's um, Louisiana Southern yeah. energy that it's got to it. It's it's just a very, you know, there's so many different instruments on this album and I love that about it. You know, there's accordion, there's banjo, there's definitely violin and strings of sorts like that in there. And then there's the horns and just it gives jazz, backwoods, punk, indie rock, all in one. It's it's really yeah, it's great. Well, yeah, this whole like middle section, it just like screams like what I said before. Like when I was first hearing it, the first thing that popped in my head was like Iris, like she sea shanties. Say that five times, and then you know just uh, like the heavy string bass and also the vocals on a lot of this. One there's a lot of harmonies in a lot of the tracks. Sometimes they're like faint whispers. Sometimes they're like more you know, actual like singing, like chord, like structures, but throughout all of them, I couldn't help but just listening to the first time, wanting to listen, it felt like I was in this like wooden room that was like kind of like, you know, medium sized, maybe some like tables and other people filling it, but it had the slight reverb to it where it made it cozy. I don't know why. I just felt like I had, you know, a scotch with like very like warm lighting, a little mm -hmm. fire maybe. Mm -hmm. Love that energy. And then it moves on from there to Dance Hall, which um, I crazy. love that song. Like, <laughs> I, love, love, love I that song. I have to disagree with you. Really? I have oh, to disagree. Okay. I see how it could get whiny and annoying at a certain point, but it just makes me want to stomp my feet and s punch the air and jump around. And I, th I think, like, with this track, they were trying to go for, like, like an Elvis, like, early rock kind of vibe, you mm -hmm. know? And I just felt like it kind of fell flat because... 
I don't think they like put their own spin on it. They yeah. just yelled, dance hall, dance hall. Yeah. Oh, no, the dance hall, dance hall. Yeah, I love yeah. it. It reminded me a lot of uh, That Handsome Devil, which is also big during this yes. time. Okay. Them. They were yeah. big into that kind of like, or even like Law Dispute, very like mm-hmm. aggressive, punchy, just like, you know, out there vocals. Yeah. So yeah. I feel that. I feel that. I get how it's give and take, though. Many yeah. people like it, many people don't. I mean, uh, another issue I have with it is, I mean, what Matt was saying, like, uh, I find a problem with, like, the exaggerated vocals in this one, just because I don't think there's, like, really any substance to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, I, I do like the exaggerated vocals in other tracks. Right. Yeah, yeah, he does have that in a lot of different tracks. And, you know, going from Dance Hall to Bukowski, I feel like there's a very strong sense of uh, lyrical difference and and lyrical substance to it. You know what I mean? Bukowski, probably my favorite track on the album, which is very <laughs> hard to say, but um, I just I love it. You know, it it speaks to me in ways that I can't even explain. And I like the way that it was laid out from verses to chorus. Yeah, let me tell you, if she could explain it, we'd be here till midnight. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I don't know if you guys had any opinions I mean, on that. See, for me, a problem with me is since I was listening to it while I'm driving, I don't know about you guys, but I can like listen to the lyrics. And I can hear like a chorus and be like, okay, that's what the song's about. But when it comes to the verses and like what they actually said, like, did they say this? I, you know, I might have heard this. Also, my car speakers are kind of bad. <laughs> so it's like, so for me, I more of listened to a lot of the instrumental stylings throughout and from what I can remember, I think pretty much all the way from like Devil's Work Day on, it was pretty much like, well, I mean, the middle section definitely had that, like I said, the Celtic vibe, but then it kind of went more, I don't say like softer, but definitely more back into the rock side with a Celtic vibe. So it's like they went rock, Celtic, and then a mix. Yeah, I see that. I see that for sure. Getting from Bukowski to Devil's Work Day, I feel like, once again, I really like the lyrical composition of this track. I think that it's interesting. And um, I like, I I put it on my Halloween playlist because it really just (laughs) gives you such visceral and dark descriptions. Like, I'm going to crawl on my knees until they they have no more blood to give. And, you know, I'm going to, you're all floating down the river, you know, devil's work day. It's, It's a very dark and evil song and it feels like something that could almost be in i don't know if you've ever seen over the garden wall oh yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah so it feels like something that i could almost see being a part of over the garden wall and it gives me that oh. energy of just like er this darkness that you can't even explain it's well, like acting- it's like almost like this like like myth fairy tale kind of thing because mm-hmm. you know in a lot of songs like the devil went down to georgia yeah they paint this imagery of like you know bones coming out making like bone like violins and strings and you just really, yeah, you definitely get that in this. Well, yeah. and good shout. I need some more songs to put on my uh, my Halloween playlist. Yeah, I just yeah. got Ma- Monster Mash like seven times. That's, <laughs> that's, that's all I got so far. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the instruments, uh, I mean, the instrumentals in this track, like, work into it so well. Like, the baritone sax mm-hmm. just sounds amazing. And, like, the blues-style horns definitely. Uh, like, at the end. It's just, it sounds great. And I loved, like... The callback to the horn intro because mm-hmm. I kind of felt yes. like the horn intro was useless until I heard this song, right? And I was like, "Wow, mm. I kind of like that." And and it just comes in with that immediate beat: "Are you dead or are yeah. you sleeping? Are you dead?" It's so good. It's I really love when albums like tie back, yeah, especially yeah. to mm-hmm. other songs. Just like 
especially even more so songs that seem just kind of throwaway. I love that realization during an album when listening to it, when you're just like, I heard that. Like I heard that in one of the first mm-hmm. songs and then you start making connections. Yes, yeah. definitely. Very cool. And then it takes it back and it goes to The View and and The View is another song on this album that I just absolutely love that brings down the energy for sure, I feel like. Um it it still has that modest mouse vibe, mm-hmm. but it um it's like laid back a little bit more and it has once again really great lyrical composition in my opinion. Um but Overall, it's a it's a really good song to place as number 10, in my opinion, after all this darkness, all this darkness and just give you a little break and then back to satin in a coffin, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> back to being real dark again. And um, just see, that's what's great about it, because as much as you're I mean, definitely, I definitely got the dark undertones. But for me, like listening to the actual music of it, I was like. I was more happy than anything. Mm-hmm. Like I was just more like having a grand old time, like. I mean, I definitely felt the somberness, but it wasn't like when I think of really depressing music, right? Like a black metal, a sludge kind of real heavy distortion. A lot of everything in this album was very clean for That's the most really part. Well, what, what I admire about this track in particular is how that kind of somberness builds up. And then finally, like in the last like around 40 seconds, it finally comes into like full fruition. And there's mm-hmm. like just a bunch of instruments like honestly like futuristic synths are added in there and uh i think the the bass like really drives it home oh yeah you know definitely yeah yeah and then the little interlude that they've got going again which has a lot of views for some reason compared to the other interludes when (laughs) in reality in reality it's a baby cooing i mean come on now what is this i I don't understand (laughs) that part i like it though it gives it like sentimental value it feels like you're stepping into a part of the band's life that you never knew was there because they're always talking about these gritty and dark and indie rock things, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, he's a father and he has well, a child. there's an emotional impact, and, right? Yeah. That we talked about earlier. Yeah, and it's like, oh, we're kind of connected to them in this mm-hmm. way and they were vulnerable enough to put that out there and, and spread their child's voice out there for us. So I like that little part too, um, but it's not necessarily my favorite, you know, on the yeah. album. No, it's just sure. a little, sure. little quick interlude. Um, and then once again, it's really dialed back to blame it on the Tetons, which I love this track so much. It's something I, I can I fall asleep you, to. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, what, what do you have to say about it? I mean, I just got to say that the piano chords are beautiful, mm-hmm. like probably some of the best I've heard on just like an indie rock album in general. I yeah. mean, like the, the way it was all layered and the way it was set out, it's just like, I think they knew they had something here, you know? Yes. Even if it's not one of their most, like, popular songs, like, it is a defining example of their, like, artistic integrity. Oh, yeah, definitely. A lot of people uh, draw comparisons from The View to Blame It on the Tetons, I was noticing, and showing which one is more strong, a lot of people fell toward the side of The View, but I, I really do like Blame It on the Tetons. I think that it's, like, a really laid back and beautiful ballad um and and that mm-hmm. it was you know very valid it was a valid ballad <laughs> to put on this track it's like why you gotta pick and choose right it's like it's on it's on the same album like there's sometimes like oh i've put this album or this song on this album but when you got the whole thing that's cohesive you know this really pulling at hairs here right yeah and then it's back to black cadillacs let's talk more about death 
Um, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it and and bring back the explicit and 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 make it dark again. And I like Black Cadillacs a lot, but um, I'd say it's one of the weaker tracks on the album. And in in mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's not my necessary. It's not necessarily my favorite. It's uh, you know. Well, it's coming like you know, lay in the the track list too. Which, right. How long is this album total? Uh, it's about forty-eight minutes. I, I say, believe. Is it still like a normal, it's a shorter uh, album. The LP, where it's I, I'd say that's about the sweet spot for yep, forty-eight, yep. forty-eight, thirty-nine seconds. Yep. It's like you have no idea how many times I have listened to an album, and it's like an hour and eight, and you'd be like, oh, you know, it's an extra twenty minutes, you know, oh, more music, but it really, it's like it adds more that like adds to my fatigue of it. It's like mm-hmm. I want it to be short, sweet, and exactly, you know, like a perfect little thing with a bow on it, and you know, definitely once you get towards the end of any album, you're really like, okay, how are you going to end this? How do you either keep me intrigued or how do you really like finish it off? Mm-hmm. Well, and it really goes into like, you know, sometimes you can say so much more with so much less, you know, yeah. like you don't have to keep going and keep going and keep going. You can say a certain amount in a smaller amount of time and sometimes it's more effective. Um, and sometimes smaller albums do end up being like a lot more concise and a lot more, um, like have a lot more connection just because of that. Like if you can make music effectively and connect to your audience in that short amount of time, then it, it speaks volumes to the quality of the music, I think. Oh yeah. I, I mean, mean I, I think musicians just need to realize that hour and a half hour albums are not needed all the time. Like uh and like when you're seeing these like two hour, hour and a half albums, a lot of those tracks are just filler. <laughs> and Kanye. Kanye. <laughs> yep. Kanye. And like it's Kanye. fine if you do need those tracks, but if you don't, then yeah. and we, we you know. were just talking about in the first half. You know, we live in a day and age where I want the good stuff right now and I want it to be catchy. And right. you know, I think of someone like Doja Cat and I'm like, automatically, you know, I'm gonna like your song because it's gonna be catchy, it's gonna be kind of sexy. But you know, here we have um minus the little interlude tracks, like maybe you know, include the Milo one. We only got 14 songs. 14 songs is a lot. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but as a fan of classic rock, it was like eight to yeah. ten. Yeah. And it was, you know, pretty much always that. Right. And there's a variation in length for songs, mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. which is which is great about it, too, because it's, you know, you don't exactly know exactly when the next one's going to end and something else is going to begin and give the, yeah. and, the and vibe. And like we're talking about indie, like they're playing with, okay, what works, what doesn't. Right. I'm okay making mistakes. I don't need this to be, you know, cut paste. Oh, it needs to be this long. No, they're like, hey, you know what? If I want to do a little shanty song, if I want to pull some southern roots in, right. I'm going to do it. You uh-huh. know, what are you going to tell me now? Well, that? and also the change in tone, I mean, breaks it up a lot. And it sounds like, I mean, there's different like moods and different vibes that come yes. with each song and something that, you know, will speak to a lot of different types of people. Definitely. And, I mean, it is a cohesive album that's trying to say like, a, a message like all the way through but each song plays its part and right. it's saying a different part of that message Definitely. which is important yeah. for people who play it on shuffle right yeah. yeah and so then we get back into the last two tracks with one chance and the good times are killing me one chance brings it right back and it's um almost like to me standing over a great big view like on a cliff and just looking out on on this album and seeing what it is one chance to get everything right and it was you know, it's a really good second to last song, in my opinion, because it brings it back and it gives you the energy of we put a lot into this. You know, we we we, we put a lot into this song. We put a lot into this album and it meant a lot to us. And 
now we're going to give you the last track, which is The Good Times Are Killing Me. And I really love mm-hmm. that track. I, I love the little intro where you get to hear the band laughing around and, yeah, and goofing too. and gaffing and having a good time. And and then it gives you that good, fun last track that, you know, leaves you, like, smiling. And, and it takes it takes its time ending. Cause that's why ending tracks for me are the deal breakers for a good album. Because sometimes it will either drag on and on. Like, um, I know one band I love is Star Effer. Oh, yeah. They're, they're very good. Yeah. Their very good album... Um, is it Miracle Mile? The last track is like eight minutes long, and I love for how long it takes to really end. But I w- I'd be lying if I said at one point I was looking at my watch like, oh, is it? <laughs> how long is left? Yeah. Whereas here, like, you know, I was having a good time, and then they faded away, which also, I mean, let's be real, that's to the lot of the message too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, and uh, what what I really like personally liked about this track was how reflective it was. Like, oh, yeah. it was basically just like talking about how he was feeling like making this album and just really looking back on it and considering like what he said and like his life in general and which is I think is perfect for a final track. Yeah, especially considering what was going on surrounding the release of this album. If you know anything about Isaac Brock, it was a real dark time in his life. Really, really dark time in his life. And I mean, there were obviously other band members involved in the creation of this album, so it's not all about him. But um, I think it was just such a bittersweet and beautiful ending to a beautiful, beautiful album and one that I would recommend anybody listens to. It really makes you sit on it, too. Yeah, yeah. I'd honestly put that bittersweet label on the entire album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean it's great all the way through, but there are times where it's it's gonna make you feel you know mm-hmm. and those emotions might not always be positive but i mean they do a good job of breaking it up where it always stays engaging and it's not just a bunch of sad songs in a row and then a bunch of like hard ragers in a row it's like yeah. I, I think the pacing of the album is very good as well oh definitely yeah any well, final thoughts no, no, I think no. you heard it from us, folks. <laughs> That's our overall opinions going track by track of the album Good News for People Who Love Bad News. And before we leave here, we're going to need our boss here, Chloe, to pull the next album that we're going to talk about out of a hat. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give it up for Chloe. Give She's it up come for out. Chloe. Yay. <laughs> mine, please be mine, please be mine, please be mine. <laughs> and the one that won is do it all the time i don't know about wait, i don't know but they found me by james i know this Funky. album it's a, good, cool. it's a good album mm-hmm. i'm i'm it's intrigued a fun album. any little teaser for the audience here um it's exciting and mm-hmm. i think that there's the potential for some some strong opinions on it oh, oh yeah, yeah. Strong opinions. you know we all got right. them all right <laughs> yeah. folks Make sure to check us out next week.